This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. When we play jazz music and when we practice jazz music, it's important that we remember that it is African-American music and it was born out of slavery. It was born out of racism, injustice, oppression, and it developed under injustice and oppression. And music is always the reflection of the times. It's always a reflection of the people who are playing the music. And we can never untie jazz and playing jazz or not connect the two together. They are so intertwined. And so it's important that when we play this music, we have a reverence, we have an understanding of what this music really means, just even outside of the notes and the theory and how to play it. Now, I'm not the right person to deliver this message, obviously. So I've got a very special guest on the show today multi-instrumentalist, educator, and jazz aficionado Kyle Younger to share what jazz music means. Not only what it means to the African-American community, but what it should mean to us and what we should think about when we play this music. All right, let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. All right, what's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. You know, today's episode, it's a really important episode, and perhaps the most important episode I'll come out with all year. And no, it's not my regular music theory tips and you know, jazz improv tips and hacks and tricks and all that stuff that I normally talk about on this episode. It's something much deeper than that. And it it has to do with, of course, what this music actually means and what does it mean to the African-American community and the oppression that this music is born out of. And now, of course, this is a timely episode because uh, in my country, the United States, uh, and many around the world are aware Racial issues are at the forefront, and not that they weren't here before. They've they've always been here, but of course they're amplified right now with the murder of uh, George Floyd, uh, an unarmed black man, as as well as multiple other incidences. Um, And I want everybody in my audience to understand that when we play jazz music, we cannot separate it from the oppression of those who created it, that every note we play should be in reverence and understanding, and we should educate ourselves. And especially if you're someone like me, who is uh, a white a white person, it's important for us to understand this and be aware. Uh, and so obviously today, like I said earlier, I'm not the right person to talk about this for the reasons I just mentioned, but uh, my friend Kyle Younger is the right person to talk about this. So let's jump in right now on my conversation with Kyle. We're going to talk all about this, and uh, I really want you to you know put put everything away and really focus in on this conversation because this is an important one. And I also do believe that understanding this is going to dictate how you actually play this music for yourself. All right, let's jump right to it. All 
All right, welcoming on the show is Kyle Younger. He is a multi-instrumentalist. Uh, he is um, an educator. He is a jazz aficionado, and I'm really excited to have him on the show today. So thanks for being on, Kyle. Appreciate you. Thanks, Brent. I appreciate it. Um, glad to be here and glad for this discussion, which I think is very relevant. Um, you know, before we dive in deeper, um, I would like to mention that my background as an educator is in critical race theory. Um, I am ABD at this point, so I'm almost finished with my doctorate. And so I study race issues a lot through several lenses, um, whether it's uh, education, uh, music, politics, social, social issues, and culture. Um, that's the lens that I look at. Um, I'm also, you mentioned I'm a uh, multi-instrumentalist. I'm originally trained as a jazz musician. Uh, my teacher played baritone sax for Dizzy Gillespie, so I guess I would fall in the Dizzy Gillespie tree. Um, as far as me, but I, I, I play uh, saxophone, trombone, piano, bass, and guitar. Yeah, and I, I remember we played a little gig uh, some years ago. Is, what was it at WBGO, uh, yes, the radio was, station in uh, New yes. Jersey, uh, in Newark? And yep. um, I, I remember you picking up a few different instruments during the time we were doing that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember you saying, it was like, oh, I didn't know you could play piano like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're, and you know, you're one of those people, too, when I think about music, like, you're just someone who just, just loves music. And, you know, so, I mean, you know, definitely you're in, you're, you're in, a, you're in a good place here because everybody listening right now absolutely loves music, absolutely loves jazz. And, you know, when we talk about jazz music and you're talking about your perspective, Perspective, you know, we can't separate jazz music. When we play this music, we can't separate it from the people who created it, African Americans, and the oppression that goes along with that. So I'm really this this I'm actually very excited about this conversation. And while it is also timely now, it's nothing new. You know, this is this is stuff all, all the, the the big news stories going on, this is something that happens on a regular basis. And as an African American man yourself, I mean, I, we're just here to learn. We're just here to listen today. So I'm excited about that. But before we kind of dive into some of the nitty gritty, I would love to hear how did you get like into jazz? Like what what what's your story behind falling in love with that music? Yes. Well, you know, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we played at WBGO in Newark. I am a Newark native. And so I went to um, the High School of Performing Arts in Newark and in the lobby is artwork by Wayne Shorter. Mm. Wayne Shorter is an alum of my high school. Um, and so when I saw this artwork, because I was really into visual arts, um, I wanted to learn more. And so I started listening to Wayne Shorter, um, and I just, I just wanted more and went to my teacher and say, said, who, who can I listen to? And he pointed me in the direction of Art Blakey um, and Horace Silver, and those rank as like my favorites. And so... Um, my teacher kind of built Bill Phipps, who also played with Wayne Shorter, um, back in the forties. Um, he used to, he would be, he would explain how jazz music is related to everything that we were listening to at that time mm. in the 1980s. And so when I would listen to jazz, I could hear what Michael Jackson was doing when Thriller came out and mm. I saw the connection. And so... I saw jazz as a way to be able to see a whole range of different types of music, not just jazz. 
I figured that if I learned about jazz, I could apply it in all, all a bunch of different contexts. And so that was my love of jazz. Um, I think that ultimately I fell in love with Quincy Jones mm. and his ability to arrange music and and get these sounds out uh, with, with like these fantastic harmonies. Um, and so I've loved jazz maybe since I was about 15 years old. Um, and being in Newark, Newark is was a place that the jazz musicians would play before they would go to New York. So if mm. they had a gig on a Friday night, they would come to Newark on Thursday and play in downtown Newark and then head over to New York to do gigs in New York. And so Newark has a, uh, a fine jazz history. Rutgers holds a, a huge jazz library that's in uh, Newark. We have WBGO, which is the station of record in the New York metropolitan area. So it's all it's, it's around me. It's just it's just around me. And yeah. So, jazz is um, in your blood. It's in my blood. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And for those who aren't familiar with like geographically where Newark is, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Newark is, it's a city just, what would you say, Kyle? Is it just like 20 minutes outside of Manhattan? Or? Yeah, it's, it's about 15, 15 miles, 15 miles out of Manhattan. Yeah, it's like right there. Uh, 20 minutes, right. Yeah. They're, so if, they're, you take the, if you take the train from Newark, the, there are two stops, Sea Caucus and New York. Yeah, so that so when you say that like the the jazz musicians started in Newark and then they would go to New York, like that was like the stopping zone. That's why that is. They're so they're so yeah. they're they're so close together. They're so close together. And Newark Newark at that time also had a lot of jazz clubs in the forties and fifties. Um, they had uh, as many jazz clubs as they had in New York. And so when the musicians were here, there were certain clubs that they would hit in New York. Newark and Philadelphia, um, and and those tend to be the areas a lot of the musicians. And so, uh, when you think of people like an Art Blakey or Horace Silver, a lot of the musicians that wound up playing with them are from Newark. Yeah, uh, like Woody Shaw. Woody Shaw is from Newark, um, and so um, Hank Mobley lived here in Newark for a while. And so uh, there's a there's a there's it's almost like I'll sit. Newark is almost like the sister city to New York and Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, th- thanks for that context. Uh, I, w- I want to yeah. start talking about the history of this music. And, you know, jazz is is African-American music. Um, I, want at, from, I want to hear from your perspective, you know, talk to me about the history of this music and mm-hmm. the oppression of mm-hmm. the African-American community as it relates to jazz. Yes, that's a... You know, coming from the academic world, there can definitely be many scholarly books written about this history. First of all, when you think about the term jazz, the term jazz is not something that African-American or black people came up with. Hmm. This was something that was part of the Eurocentric views of framing music by genres uh, to African-Americans. And I think Duke Ellington even mentioned it. He called it Negro music. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. And so black black musicians just saw it as an expression of their culture and their creativity. They never actually called it jazz. And, and, and to, to like uh, highlight how that is so, the very first jazz band that was recorded was this uh, original Dixieland jazz band, 
and they would fight five white guys. Mm. And they claimed to have invented jazz. And so it was this framing it as a genre that started this um, system where African-American people weren't giving, given credit for the innovations that they made with this music. And so when you think about the history of the music, it comes out of slavery. And so you think about the songs that the people sang in the fields, the chants, um, which led to gospel, which ultimately led to blues. And these musicians at the time wanted to stray away from music that reminded them of slavery. Mm -hmm. And so this is where you get jazz music. So jazz music is almost symbolic of our freedom struggle as African-Americans because the other music reminded us of our bondage. Jazz music represented our freedom. Um, and so as it represented our freedom, it became commodified in the United States and, and corporations saw it as a way to make money. And as a way to make money, the corporations did not want to tie blackness to the music. And so they used white musicians to play this music, um, which was unfortunate for black musicians because they didn't make money for it from it, even though it's something that they created and kind of perfected. And so the oppression of, of the, of the African-American musicians um, is simply a continuation of Jim Crow, of slavery, of, 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 of structural and systemic racism. Um, because uh, African-Americans just, you know, you had your few, you had your Louis Armstrongs and your Duke Ellingtons. Um, but for the most part, the music was pushed or sold and commercialized as a white art form when it actually was an African-American music. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, what, how, because I thought it was something interesting that you said that, you know, the music before represented bondage, right? And, and yes, then jazz, which is, was a term, you know, that, that was put together to essentially commercialize it to what, so that represents the freedom, right? But yes. then at the same time, you're, you're talking about how even in that, you know, the, the, the credit is taken away from the black community who created it. Yes. What effect did that have on the music? You know, when we're talking about, I don't know, bebop, swing, the swing era, bebop, all of that stuff. Like, how did that? How how did black musicians? I, I just I want to I want to know a little bit more about the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was very difficult for them because as the as when black musicians performed this art art form, it was it was viewed negatively amongst whites and amongst middle class blacks they didn't view this music as something that was uh, positive why is uh, that middle because they saw it as people who were of lower means mm. and from the streets you know a lot of people that did jazz and moved into the urban areas came from the south and they did not have a lot of money and so the the middle class blacks and the whites 
saw it as a music that was um, for uncultured people, uncultured people, not as high, not a high art like classical music. Um, so it was put down. It was also associated with dance and some of the dance that was the uh, craze at that time um, was considered risque. Um, if, if you know the history of rock and roll, you know that with Elvis Presley, they wouldn't show him below his waist. Well, that was the type of dancing that was happening in jazz clubs in the 30s and 40s. It's, Elvis didn't invent that. That was that was <laughs> happening in jazz clubs and speakeasies. Um, and that was the type of dancing that was associated with the music. And so people saw the music and the dance as vile mm-hmm. of these low-class, wild people, which happened to be black people. Mm-hmm. And so then you what, you what they do is take that music and put it with a white artist who kind of, for lack of a better term, waters it down. It's no longer associated with dance. Gives it some, you know, even though jazz is an African-American art form, it does borrow from European forms. Right. European marching um, music, yeah. Right, exactly. And so, um, so what they did was take these jazz, these white jazz bands, and highlight that European style, which is written music instead of improvisational music, and that's what sold. Right. Um, and so um, th- that's where that oppression comes from because it, I think it, it takes away some of the the intent of the music for commercialization. And that is something that still happens in the music industry to this day with all music. Um, there's edgy music does not sell. What the music industry does is they find an artist that can do edgy music in a lighter form. And you look throughout the history of music, that's what you see. In hip hop is done today where you have people that are making hip hop but it's not the hip hop that's edgy and that's from the streets. And so when the word that people use when they go commercial is that you're selling out mm. because it's lost its edge. Right. See, and so that's what happened with jazz when they didn't emphasize the African American influence. They took some of that edginess away to make it commercial, to make a dollar out of it. And it's, like I said, it's something that continues to this day um, in the music industry. Such an interesting thing because, you know, as we know, you know, music is merely a reflection of the times and the people creating it, right? You know, I mean, the history, like you think about bebop, right? And what was mm-hmm. happening during that time? That was time, World War II. That's what was happening right. during that time. And... You know, a lot of times what's happening in the world and what's happening in people's lives is pretty edgy. <laughs> it's, right. You know what I mean? And I think you're making – I think this is like something that most people do not think about. I, I certainly don't. I don't think mm-hmm. about this kind of thing. Like that, you might think about it uh, more often than – definitely more often than I do. Um, just a nuance such as this and the watering down of music to make it commercial and how that affects uh, – the African-American community and how, you know, in the music. Um, and you know, when we talk Definitely. about, 
Yeah, go and, for it. Kyle. Also, it's also it shows you how power works because the people who are controlling the music industry are not African American people. So the people in power actually can tell you what is jazz, what is rock and roll, what is hip hop. Because they have the money. So actually it's the power, the people in power, who are dictating what you can hear and what is considered jazz. So to me, and I know that Wynton Marcellus has gotten in trouble years ago for saying certain things that are similar. But to me, I can hear what people put on the radio and say that that is jazz. And I'll tell someone, no, it's not. It's because... I I I I know what has been taken away from that music. Some of the the edge uh, when you listen to certain artists, it's more of a commercialization of jazz uh, by people in power to make it more palatable to their to their listening audience. I was about to make a Kenny G joke, but I'll just I'll I'll not I'll not do it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to mention that, but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, we 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 won't we 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 will we'll try, we'll try to to hold back there. You know, something that I was thinking about the other day because you know I was thinking a lot about you know oppression in jazz music and the African American community. Um, more than a white person does on a regular basis. And, you know, I was thinking about Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. And was it, I can't remember, Kyle, if it was the week prior or the week after the recording of that. Um, there's this this pretty famous picture of Miles Davis outside of a jazz club, completely yes. bloody. Um, and the story there. Um, and I, I might be missing a few of the details, but the story there was he was standing outside of a jazz club on 59th Street. I think it, it was in the 50s or 1959 or something like that. Um, and he, between breaks and, uh, you know, a cop came up and, and said, hey, you need to move along. And he said, well, no, I mean, I'm playing at the club downstairs. See, that's my name on the sign. Um, you know, uh, the, the end result of this being, you know, he got beaten by the police and you know, well, in Miles Davis, just we don't think about this when we think, you know, Kind of Blue is one of the most famous jazz albums of all time. Miles Davis is one of the most famous jazz musicians of all time. And when we listen to that album, we don't really think about what happened a week. Again, I wish I had the details right. The week before, the week after. It was, yeah, it was the week, def- it was the week before. The week before. The week before mm-hmm. he created that album. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, as a white person, th- this these are the things that I want to think more about because yeah. it brings context in reverence to to when we play the music. When we when we sit down to play, we're not just playing you know, in the jazz education space, you know, we talk about scales, we talk about uh, improvisation, we talk about, you know, strategies and tips, and that's what I talk about in this podcast for the most part, and those are all good things, but those are just things. But there's soul behind music. There's people, there's humans behind music. Yeah. And I want to think more about that. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, you know, when you reached out to me to ask me about this conversation that we're having, I thought about uh, Kind of Blue and that Miles Davis incident. Um, because, you know, part of, you know, part of what happened in that incident was not only was he outside taking a break, he was outside with a white woman. mm and and I'm sure you're familiar with something that happened at Central Park 
just a couple of weeks ago yeah. where a white woman uh, uh, weaponized her race to try to get a black man arrested. And so you see that like many, many years later, that's still an issue where uh, a white woman being with a black man or being in the space of a, with a black man can still cause problems. But getting back to your point and the overall struggle and thinking about the music in the context of a struggle, all you have to do is listen to some of the other artists. You think of like um, Charles Mingus. Mm-hmm. He had the uh, original Fables of Faubus. Yeah. Orville Faubus. And you listen to that music and the song is, um, as far as method and structure, it's a great song. But there's something to that he's saying about the civil rights movement at that time um, in the song, even down to Danny Richmond's drum beat is mimicking the limp that Orville Faubus had. Um, you think about... Um, Kyle, do you mind if I interrupt you really quick? For those who are yeah. maybe international audience or those who just aren't aware, can you talk a little bit more about the meaning of that mm-hmm. song? Yes. Uh, Faubus was... Uh, Orville Faubus was, I believe, the governor of Arkansas, who was anti-segregation. And he put a lot of black people uh, illegal. He arrested a lot of black people who tried to segregate, who who tried to go to schools in jail. Um, And so this song, original um, Fables of Faubus, is something that Charles Mingus wrote in response to his... um, segregationist attitudes in, in the South. Um, there are actually lyrics. At, um, there are two versions of the, the song, and one version has lyrics, and um, it talks about the bombings of, of students, and I think the one of the lyrics is like, oh, Lord, don't let them bomb us. Mm. Oh, Lord, don't let them kill us. And instrumentally, that's what the song says. Oh, Lord, don't let them kill us. And so the song has a deeper meaning than like just a melody and chord structure. Yeah. You look at something like Strange Fruit Fruit by oh. Billie Holiday. Oh, my God. Okay. About the hangings and the lynchings. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the most powerful jazz songs that's ever been written. She it wrote is. that, and she never, she never received any royalties for that song. Oh my God, you're kidding me! No, uh, Duke Ellington, "Black, Brown, Brown and Beige," another song that talks about the struggle of being a black, brown, and beige person. Um, so there are so many songs. Uh, Max Roach and Charles Mingus formed the collective to make to emphasize jazz as not just music and art, but as part of a social movement for black freedom and liberation. And so it's, so as you think about those, these songs that you're playing, the history of it, especially from 1950 onward, because before the fifties, it's like dance music is, it's big band music. So you got count and, uh, and, and uh, Benny Goodman and those, uh, and and Duke and his 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 orchestra, they tended to play for dance audiences. But from the fifties on, 
um, it became more of a social movement. And when that happened, New York came up with these cabaret cards that you had to have in order to play in clubs in New York. And this is how they prevented certain musicians like a Billie Holiday from playing in clubs. Billie Holiday couldn't play in clubs in New York for 10 years because they took a cabaret cabaret claw, uh, card away. Charlie Parker couldn't play in New York for three years until he got his uh, cabaret card back. And then he died two years later. So policies were, policies were enacted to stop this social mu- movement through jazz music. And so when we're playing Kind of Blue or Mingus or Max Roach, the music has a meaning beyond the chords, beyond the rhythms and the harmonies. It was part of a social movement on our struggle for freedom. And policies were created to stop that from happening, where they stopped black musicians from essentially having a livelihood. They had to go out of state, make less money, travel. They couldn't feed their families, uh, all to avoid them putting this music and this message um, out there for equality. But the music in general is meant to bring us together. Mm. So when I say that jazz and, uh, is black music, their purpose was to integrate, integrate the music. You can go back to any interview that you see with Dizzy Gillespie, any of the musicians, and they'll tell you, we don't want this music for us only. It's for everybody. And so a lot of the speakeasies were the only places where blacks and whites mingled with the jazz musicians. And so even though, yes, it's African-American art form, we didn't make it exclusive to African-Americans. We wanted it to be for everybody. We wanted you to hear us, mm. to know what our experiences were through this music. Almost like today, we want you to hear us, hear about our experience, hear about police brutality like Miles Davis went through. And we do it. We're communicating um, through our music because, you know, jazz is. Is a form of communication. Yes. And so that's what that's what these that's what these artists and these musicians were doing. And I say artists because, you know, you had poets that were influenced by jazz. You had artists, even white artists like. Jack uh, Jackson Pollock, who were influenced by jazz. You had the beat writers influenced by the jazz. It was a way to communicate. Yeah, and I, I, so I, I, I love how you've communicated. The jazz is a music meant for everybody, and I think jazz is, you know, it, it's it, it's something that brings us together. And I, I guess the example I want to share is, well, of course, uh, Learn Jazz Standards. We have people from all over the world. But something that's mm-hmm. been a little bit more clear to me um, is our new membership we launched. And people inside that community, we have people from every corner of the world. You know, the UK, Hungary, uh, South Africa, uh, uh, Japan, uh, all corners of, of North America, South America, you know, people of all colors and religions and, you know, a whole collective of people. And everybody's there to learn how to play jazz, an African-American yes. art form. And how powerful is that? And that I hear I hear people commenting, I'm like, I can't believe how many people are from all over the world here, you know, trying to do the same thing. And, you know, I can't believe that, you know, someone from, you know, South America is helping me 
with my my jazz playing right now. It it brings people together. And yes. so for me, the thing that like gets me excited. And I mean, I love the music, but what gets me excited to do my job is when I see things like that and I get so emotional about it because mm-hmm. and that and that's why this message is so important today. Yes. We can't forget the 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 pain, the suffering that has and continues so that when we play this music, it's it's more than just notes like you've been saying. Um right. But jazz is a to me it's 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 a it's it's a music of love. It's a music of peace. It's a music of unity. It's a music that brings people together. Um, it's interesting you said that, uh, Brent, because like when you sent me the email and asked me the question, like, "What does jazz mean to me?" I said, "Jazz means love," and you just mm, said it. Yeah, you just said the exact same thing. And me and you've grown up in two different worlds. Mm-hmm. And we we see the same thing in the music. That's the beauty of it. That's why, I, you know, these days in music, I I do blues funk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love jazz. You know, to me, blues funk is that method of just being able to do it. But jazz has a place in my heart and that, that it brings people to, together. Um, I'm so glad that this space that you've created does that. Because um, I, I was on a call recently, um, and uh, it was like a webinar, and the musicians were from Brazil, India. And I was like, wait a minute, India? They have a whole different music <laughs> system. And this guy's talking about jazz in India. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yes, that's what it's about. And so I love that it it brings us together. I just don't want the history to get lost yeah and if we're all going to play this music and we're going to all enjoy it let's think about it and let's think critically about it and about the meaning of that of this music that is more than notes that you play you know because when when you know you can't insult jazz in front of me because i'll curse you out (laughs) (laughs) because i i know the i'll i know the meaning of it and i you know, if there's anything that I could advocate for is that your listeners to learn jazz standards is that as they learn these songs, go and read up on the history of the musician. Um, look, Go and look at the time period and see what was going on because the music represents a, almost a time period. This is a habit that I got into when I started, you know, being serious about my music is that when 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 a teacher or a band leader put a piece of music in front of me, I would look at the songwriter. I would look at the copyright date to see when it was written. And then I would go to the library and find out the history about the music, the time period that the music was made, a little bit about the artist. Because once I did that, then I knew that I was I was given my best to represent that artist and his craft. And I was understanding it instead of just playing notes. Um, Because to me, the worst sound in the world is not like somebody hitting the wrong note. It's someone playing mechanically. Mm -hmm. I I, I just cannot take a mechanical sound. You can hit a wrong note. And there have been like really famous musicians that told me this, this information that I'm sharing with your audience. If you're going to hit a wrong note, do it proudly. Mm Mm-hmm. 
if you it's but if you know the music, but just don't you know don't waste my time by playing something mechanical. And so I think that going deeper and and um, learning about the artist, uh, learning about the time period they came from, some of the struggles that they that they had, it's just going to make you that much more of a, 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 a better musician. Um, there's a site that you introduced me to a couple of years ago where they have an artist that's featured every week um, and people play the music. I can't remember what it is, but like one week they did Stevie Wonder, another week they did Fats Waller. Uh, but like a, a, a site like that is great because you get to learn about the artist. It's yeah. a time to like, it's a time to learn who these people were, what they went through, where they're from. You know, when, when I learned about Louis Armstrong, I wanted to learn about New Orleans. Because I didn't know what levees were. He was singing about levees. I was like, I don't know what levees are. Let me go read about that. Um, and so I think that that's important um, to remember that jazz is not only a mu- uh, music, it's a movement. And there is a social justice aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that message. Is there, and this doesn't mean jazz related, is there any books or educational materials that you'd recommend for folks to uh, maybe engage in um, to try to be more educated about all these issues? Yeah, I would recommend highly, there's um, there's, there's a book called The Jazz Life. Mm. I can't remember the author, but that book is excellent. It was one of the first books that I've read. I also highly re- recommend uh, Beneath the Underdog by Charles Mingus. There's a lot of hyperbole in the book, but it it kind of details some of the things that we've talked about, the discrimination, the oppression, his study. Because as all these things are going on, these guys are committed to studying chords and scales like you talked about. And so um, Beneath the Underdog by Charles Mingus is a great book and one of my favorites. Um, the, Wayne Shorter has a, a, a biography as well that's very good. It talks about his journey through Newark, New Jersey, and becoming like the last great jazz songwriter. Um, and there's a book called Music Is My Mistress by Duke Ellington, which is a must-read. Okay. Must-read. Must um, because as far as jazz... It's, you know, it starts with Louis, but Duke, Duke made it what it is as far as an, as, as an art form. It, it was Duke. And, and in my opinion, it was Duke. Uh, and so those are the books that I, I recommend. There are a lot of great ones, but those are the books that I've read. I highly recommend Music is My Mistress, The Jazz Life, and Beneath the Underdog by Charles Mingus. That's fantastic. I know I'm going to have some books to order after this, and I'm going to leave all of the links to these books in the show notes today. So everybody listening, uh, feel free to check uh, the the show notes today, um, and and you'll be able to find all of those there. Um, well, Kyle, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time for 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 sharing this stuff that is not only important now, because obviously now it's you know it it, it it's it's at the forefront. But it's important all the time. So yeah. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule because I know that you're 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 a, you're a busy guy and you you have a job and you <laughs> you, know, you have to take care of yourself. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, I appreciate you. Um, and you know you're such a great guest. I have a feeling maybe sometime in the future we'll have you back on again. Yes, and you know let's 
let's find time to jam again. Yeah. But let me just close. Let me just close with this yes. opening line from Langston Hughes from his 1925 poem, "The Please. Weary Bones." Droning a drowsy, syncopated tune, rocking back and forth to a mellow croon. I heard a Negro play down on Lenox Avenue the other night by the pale girl parlor of an old gaslight. He did a lazy sway. He did a lazy sway to the tune of those weary blues. That sums up jazz. All right, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Do appreciate you. A big, 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 huge thanks to Kyle Younger for uh, taking the time out of his day to come on the show, uh, help enlighten us, help share uh, his thoughts, his feelings, his story, and the black community's uh, narrative. And I, and I just really, I appreciate that. As someone who wants to educate myself more, as someone who, who wants to learn more, who wants to be more aware, who wants to grow in this arena, uh, it means a lot to me that he took the time to do that. I hope all of you got a lot out of that, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what country you're from, no matter what race you are, that this was helpful. Um, and I'm just pumped up by the message um, that this music means so much more than sometimes we even think about on a daily basis, at least for me. And that's a beautiful story. And it's a beautiful story that this music also brings people together. And it brings people together in... Uh, in a way that we can all unify around something beautiful. And I love that. Uh, that's what gets me fired up to to do my job every day. So I, th- I thank you guys for listening. I do appreciate you. Um, we're going to be coming out with another great episode, of course, of course, of course, next week on the show. So look forward to seeing you there. Subscribe to the show, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.